Welcome to the LifeCast. We believe an extraordinary life is within everyone's reach. By interviewing leaders of all different backgrounds and having challenging open conversations, we aim to fulfill our mission and purpose of helping individuals save years of frustration and struggle, regain clarity and focus to take what was once a wish or a dream and make it their reality. There may be explicit words or conversational topics in this podcast, so if you are underage or listening with a child, please be aware of this. Lastly, please note that all the views, beliefs, and opinions are not always a representation of the hosts. Hello and welcome to this week's interview with Terry Bean. Terry, in my opinion, is the most well-connected leader in the Metro Detroit area. Terry is also a corporate trainer, a keynote speaker, a networker, author, and podcaster. Terry founded Motor City Connect. He's the co-host of the Business Growth Time podcast, the co-founder of TEDx Detroit. He's the author of the book called Be Connected. And Terry holds a Bachelor's of Science in Psychology and a Master's in Business Communications from Eastern Michigan University. And um, this is just a small list of everything that Terry's done on his life resume. But, you know, Terry's pr- honestly somebody that I'm grateful to know and to call a friend. And, and I'm honored to have been able to interview him along with Al Pushman. So, you know, let's go ahead and jump in. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the show. We're sitting here with uh, my good friend, Terry Bean. Um, you're, I would say you're probably the most well-connected person in the city of Detroit. Um, I don't know about that, but that's cute. Thank yeah, you. I appreciate well, that. So uh, I, just it's some cliff notes on you, right? So uh, you started Motor City Connect, mm-hmm. right? Which is, you know, how long has that been going right for now? 12 years, man. So 12 years. Then uh, a decade ago, you started TEDx Detroit. Was on the team that started it, yeah. Right. Absolutely. So um, before Detroit was popular, yeah. and then you also exposed Detroit with 313D Love, mm-hmm. right? Got uh, the state of Michigan to acknowledge that March 13th is Detroit Day. And you've been such a proponent of this city. You've been a proponent of connecting people, helping, making a positive difference. That um, when I thought of, hey, who should we interview? You've been on my short list for the past four or five months since we started. Well, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming out, man. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate you having us. So, um, you know, kind of give us your uh, life resume plus professional resume in a, a Cliff Notes version. The Cliff could. Notes of my life resume. Sweet. Yeah, I know. All right, I can do that. <laughs> 42 seconds or less. Okay. All right. So I was born in uh, the Detroit area, Lincoln Park. Family was in Southfield for a minute, moved out to Farmington when my mom and dad got divorced when I was like five. I lied about the 42 seconds. Total crap. <laughs> um, mom got remarried, mm-hmm. moved out to Minnesota. Dad stayed in the area. So yesterday I posted about uh, a place where I used to go dancing as a teenager in Minneapolis and a place I used to go dancing in Waterford here when I was back and forth throughout junior high and high school. But I uh, had a great time in Bloomington, Minnesota. Very cool. Came back to go to school at Eastern. Dad was very smart. He said, you go to college anywhere in the country you want, and you pay for it. <laughs> you go to like school it. anywhere in Michigan, and I'll pay for it. I looked at Michigan State, and I'm like, there's no way I'm ever going to make an 8 o'clock class. It's just not going to happen. Classes are so far apart. Right. I didn't realize there was no way I was going to make an 8 o'clock class, even if it was 50 feet away. I didn't, that I didn't, is so funny. I didn't notice that part. So, But Eastern seemed like a good fit. I wanted to go into education or I wanted to go into business. They had great programs mm-hmm. for both. Um, 
took a psychology class my second semester there and realized what a mess I was and was like, ooh, I think I could dig a little deeper and figure out how to fix some of this stuff. Uh, went through that, finished that program fast enough to get a second major in communications, recognized that since I wasn't going to go be a psychologist, I was going to go into business. And if I could understand how people think and I could understand how to effectively communicate with them, could be a force majeure, mm. uh, which was kind of cool, man. They were nice enough to give me a graduate assistantship, allow me to go do teaching at Eastern Michigan, so I taught public speaking for a year. wasn't really my bag. I was 22 years old. I wouldn't want to learn much from me at 22 anyway. So jetted into uh, my first wife and I, she moved to Columbus because of a job with 3M, so we lived there for five years, became a recruiter ultimately. Uh, and was in a networking group at the time. So this was 1996. I was 25 years old. We're running around networking with all the old people. It was kind of an interesting trip, man. Uh, did it well enough that got asked to be an area director and oversaw a handful of chapters. So now I'm 27 years old. I'm running five different, six different groups and really loved it. And what I love most about it is a couple of things. One, the business acumen you get from listening to people talk about business, their challenges, and what they do on the day-to-day was amazing, right? Mm. That's a lesson. It was a it was an MBA without mm-hmm. even trying. Um, so that was really cool. The opportunity to help other people, to be of service, to give leads, to give referrals, to give counsel and advice, right? And, and just to give a shoulder to cry on or a high-five when necessary. All very cool. Um, left Columbus because I got divorced, moved back up here, looked around for some networking groups, found a couple that were okay, um, but didn't find exactly what I wanted. LinkedIn came out and was doing the LinkedIn thing, connecting with people all over the world. We're at 2004, 2005 timeframe. And one day I was talking to somebody in either India or China, having a great conversation, learning about the culture. It was really interesting and it dawned on me. None of the people I'm connecting with around the world give two shits about Detroit. And in 2006 time frame, uh, you may recall, Detroit was not doing well, right? Detroit was not well at all. Um, And it realized that if Detroit was going to come back, it wasn't going to be because Ford or Chrysler or GM bailed us out. It was going to be the rise of the entrepreneurial class. And if we didn't figure out a way to improve the people, so they could work on the business, we weren't going to be able to make our community better. And so those really were the three pillars of Motor City Connect. Now, altruistically, it was a gift, and it was a gift to make sure that that happened. And as it started to grow, more and more people were getting laid off and having to turn to what skills they had to go out and figure out how to make money. So the timing was really it was good and bad, depending on how you look at it, right? It's horrible that people were going through that situation. It was great that people were going through that situation, too, because a lot of people, as you both know, spend all week waiting for Friday. Yeah. Right? And all Sunday dreading Monday. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurs that like what they do don't ever have that issue, right? Mm-hmm. So empowering those folks was really, really important. It became kind of a way of life. Um, so that was the altruistic side. Selfishly, I didn't like cold calling. <laughs> I'm like, if I can figure out a way to throw a magnet in the middle of the town and have people know who I am, how to find me, when to connect with me, for what, I'll just sit here and answer the phone as it rings. 
And so that was kind of the idea, and that was the selfish side. Now, Mark City Connect is a tremendous gift. It was never structured as a business. So as such, when people started saying, hey, you need to make money from this, you need to make money from this because you're spending too much time on this, uh, it always became a source of frustration. You and I had that conversation three years ago when I sat down. I was like, hey, I want to buy half your business. Yeah, Let's make money with this. Let's do it. <laughs> so half would be like $27. So I want to do you know, check or cash. I don't really know. Um, but it's interesting because the place I'm at now here in Ferndale where we're sitting, uh, we're actually rebuilding the technology for Motor City Connect. So nice. it's actually about to become a business, you know, 12 years later. You yeah. don't want to rush into things. Absolutely. It took, right. uh, it took about 12 years for me to marry my current wife. So <laughs> there you go. She'd, she'd appreciate that story. Um, so, you know, Motor City Connect has gone on as a business networking group. Throughout that time, I've coached, I've consulted, I've done some outside sales um, and I've done whatever I can to just connect people and make their lives better. And sometimes people remember to pay me and say thank you, and other times people barely remember to say thank you. So whatever, I don't. That's I'm not in it for that. I took a Sandler class years ago, and one of the first things they do is they give you an assessment about what are your drivers. And I got the results back, and it said, "Oh, you like uh, awards and recognition." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, no, I like money. I like money. Money's my number one driver. And I'm like, that's not what the test says, Terry. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize at 32 that the test was actually smarter than I was. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm driven not by how much money can I stuff in my bank account. It's really how can I be of, serve, of yeah. service and then I think you know, get some acknowledgement for it, I guess. I think a great word is impact mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. Right? I think that you're looking to not selfishly reap the rewards and put yourself first, you're putting other people first. And I think that that's why Motor City Connect's been around for so long, right? And now, again, you're reworking a brand that's been there for 12 years. And and the the adage is always, hey, there's no overnight success. However, um, it's been 10, 12 years in the making. And and that's what's going to happen, right? So, but you've, you've put people first, you've impacted their lives in such a way that now they continue to want more that with the change in technology and everything, now there's a great opportunity. So the impact and making that your focus does pay mm-hmm. off and kind of, I guess, transition that into what, what else you've done as far as impact within the city after you started Motor City Connect. So in 2009, it was August 2009, I got a phone call from Charlie Wahlberg. And he said, hey, good news, we're putting on a TED event. And I said, who's TED? and he's like Ted those videos I tell you about and I'm like oh right the videos yeah the videos yeah I haven't seen any of the videos what are the videos about and he's like they're the talks man the talks where people are sharing ideas worth spreading and I'm like oh ideas I like ideas things that are worth spreading that sounds cool so Ted's all about this if you had 10 minutes to get on stage in front of a thousand people and share one idea that was going to change the world what would that idea be and I'm like, yeah, that sounds cool. We need that. We need inspiration. We need people that are out there kicking ass right now to get recognized and share their story so other people can be inspired to go out and do the same. So we put the first one on in 09, and there were 300 and some people at Lawrence Tech. Nothing like having TEDx Detroit in Southfield. You know, right. A lot of people irritated with you. <laughs> um, that was, it's so weird, right? We're such a weird society at times. But we did that, and then we grew it to a 1,000 people the next year, and it's been steadily growing pretty much ever since. And this year, it's September 26th at the Masonic Temple, and it'll be a great time, man. We've got 
22 speakers, a, a magician, uh, a couple of dancers, four or five different musical acts, uh, TEDx Labs where it's like a hands-on walkthrough display. So that stuff's really, yeah. really cool. So during that, a little bit before that time, uh, in the end of 2007, I did this thing to support uh, the Red Cross. And it was the Red, Green, and Warmth campaign. And what I learned fairly early on in terms of philanthropy and helping other folks is not everybody can write a check, right? And not everybody can go and share time, and not everybody can do different things, right? We've all got special tricks and talents and tools that we can use that make lives better. So I wanted to try and encourage people to use what they had. So red was uh, blood, right? I think a lot of people had blood. I was pretty sure of that. Green was money. And warmth was blankets because it was a December kind of event. And so that was the first little philanthropic thing we did. Uh, the next year it became blood, sweat, and gear. And so same thing, donating blood. Sweat was working with Motor City Blightbusters, which is a group that I, Detroit Blightbusters now, excuse me, um, a group that I started working with a few years before. And uh, gear was for Operation Kit Equip, getting supplies to stuff in the bags. And we did that in an August event. We did that a couple of times. And that was really, really cool. And so leveraging those kind of philanthropic, that outreach kind of stuff, I created it during the second event. I said it was August 13th and it was going on during the week. I'm like, I'm not getting a participation, right? I only had like 40 or 50 people showing up to tear down a house and 50 or 60 people giving blood. You know, it's like me, I'm like you, right? I don't 50 or 60, I want hundreds, right? I want, why are there not hundreds of people here? So I said, what if we did something that everybody could participate in? Twitter was hot. So we did this thing called 100K D-Love, and the goal was to get 100,000 people, or 100,000 tweets anyway, about stuff people loved about Detroit. Oh, that's a great idea. So that's that's what genesis into 313 D-Love. I actually ended up sleeping on it for March 13th. It was, it was August I did it the first time, and I was like, oh, man, March 13th, I'm going to knock this out of the park. And for whatever reason, in 2011, I did nothing with it. And But I noticed no one else was doing anything with it either. So we did that campaign, 313D Love, same concept, same mm -hmm. stuff you love about the city, on March 13th in 2012. And that hashtag actually trended worldwide. right? So there were enough people saying good things about Detroit. Um, that in, in to some extent it changed the narrative, right? Yeah. Because it was really easy to look around and see crap and to see things you didn't like and to see boarded up houses or cracked out houses and lawns that were way too long. But if you ever actually drove through the city in 2007, 2008 time frame, for every three messed up houses, there was always one that was really nice that somebody actually cared about and took care of. So in that moment I realized... Uh, a lot like what Rod Hairston teaches, right? What you focus on, you find. So if we started looking for what was good and what was right, we'd end up seeing a lot more of that. So it was the idea of just kind of changing what you look for, because if you do, you change what you see. Oh, man. So that was 313D Love. We talked about TEDx. We talked about Motor City Connect. I mean, those are the three things that I've spent 
uh, is a is a giving right it, you know in a impactful way turns out impactful not a word really you know, I use it all the time man and I don't know if it wasn't I couldn't find it in the dictionary one day or if I couldn't if maybe just the Microsoft Word kept <laughs> red squiggling at me but I'm like come on this is a word I use it all the time but it's yeah. crazy. So we'll have to we'll, we'll do some research on that. That's right. That's yeah, right. some research. Learn, <laughs> learn something new every day, <laughs> don't right. you? So we Google it quick. So um, one question I have. So I thought of that name, Ken Blanchard. Yeah. The guy I was thinking of. Nice. Ken Blanchard. One minute manager. That's guy. right. One minute manager. Um, so talking about servant leadership, mm-hmm. right? Um, going over your website, I, I see a lot about hey, you know, servant. You're, you always want to help others, you know, and I respect that. And I know Phil and I. That's the whole basis of what we got started here. For you, you know, is there, um, you know, a person, a, a moment in your life where you'd say, hey, this was my favorite moment of, of me giving and not necessarily getting back, but seeing something occur that you knew you put into and watered and so to speak to see some growth, a person, company, situation. Is there something that comes to mind that's really like an aha? That's a great, great question. So as you were asking it, the very first thought that came to my mind was networking in Columbus. 1997-98 time frame. There's a guy named Steve Crane. Steve works for the large office furniture dealer in town, which is interesting because as Phil knows, my dad was in that office furniture business here in the Detroit area. But Steve and I were networking together in the same group for probably 18 months, and, and he came up to me and said, I just need to let you know that the lead you gave me three months ago just closed, and it's the single biggest piece of business I've ever had. Nice. And and that was it. That was the entire conversation, right? It was no grandstanding, no high-fiving, no nothing. Just matter of fact, wanted you to know. And there's something addictive about that. Yeah. Right? The ability to help somebody in that kind of way and, and have that kind of meaning in what they're doing. That So that, that came to mind instantly when you asked. Okay. And, and when you talk about networking and... I didn't. I didn't know that about you because obviously you and I don't have a history. Sure, sure. For me, networking has always been one of the biggest components of, of my success in in my professional and personal career. And you were talking about earlier, Phil, how we met. Right? It was we were networking. networking. Right. And that's how we met at church. In networking, one of my like pillars, right, is any event I go to, I always want to, you know, give out 10 business cards and at least get 10 back, mm-hmm. right? And it's, it's that thing of I'm, I got to force myself to meet people and be, it, it's awkward, you know, and sometimes you're pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. For you, do you have something that's kind of been a pillar or, or three tips for networking? Like if you were to give somebody advice who, who's not very good at networking, what are those things? It sounds like you've spent a plethora of time and had a lot of it, of good success in networking. Yeah, I've spent some time there. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. I've spent a bunch of time training. I trained for so long that I ended up writing a book based on the training I was doing nice. because it was just easy enough to do. Um, but the, the three tips are always go into it with what you have to offer, right? I'm not saying don't know what you're trying to get yep. because it's every bit is important, but where most people screw up, is they're so focused on what they're trying to get that they forget what they have to give. Networking has to start with an implied need, right? And that implied need could be as simple as, I need you to help me find X, Y, or Z, or whatever the case may be. So if you have an ask and you give someone the opportunity to help you, that's still a give. But a better give is, how can I be of service to you? Um, Number two, 
is this thing I call after you networking. And it's the idea that if we're going to sit down and chat for five or ten minutes, I'm going to walk away. You're going to have spoken for four or eight of those five or ten minutes. And you're going to talk about the things that are most important to you. Right? I'm going to ask a handful of questions. I'm going to bounce. And you're going to think I'm the best conversationalist ever. Right? So it's always got to be you first. And the reason that's important is because what happens is once you go through that exercise and it becomes your turn to talk, only a couple of different things happen. One, they start fidgeting and looking all over the room, right? seeing who else to talk to. Two, they're fully engaged. Yeah. Or three, they just don't pay any attention at all and leave. Right? In two of those three scenarios, you know exactly who that person is yeah. in that instance, and you know you don't have to worry about ever following up with them. Yeah. In the second scenario, in the order I gave it, you know that they're actually worth something. The other benefit is if I know who you are and what you're about, I know how to relate what I'm about to say to you mm-hmm. significantly better than if we're just cold. I love that. If I just start talking. Love it. The third thing is I try and meet four or five people, right? I People give me crap all the time. I barely carry business cards. So mm-hmm. I never hand them out. The only reason I'd ever have a card and give it to you is so I can get your card. Yeah. Because if I give you mine, I'm no longer in charge of the follow-up. You are. I can't tell you how many times I've called somebody and had them say, oh, man, your card's on my desk right next to my phone. I've been thinking about calling you. You've had that card for three and a half weeks, bro. You ain't been thinking about it that hard, right? Pick up the phone. So get other people's cards yeah. so you control the follow-up. I love that. That's some good stuff right there. Yeah, it's really good. It's. Um, I think that people in the moment are very interested in get, 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 get. But then, like you'd mentioned earlier, they have call reluctance, mm-hmm. right? Because the scariest thing in a lot of people's minds is being told no because they've never made enough phone calls to realize that it's not that they're saying no to you and that you're not worthy. It's just they've got things going on. <laughs> and if you're not one of those people, the go-getters that just breaks through that and learns that lesson, you're yeah, they're just going to be stuck with the card. Um, there's, in the world of social media right now, uh, the experts like Gary Vee, right, in the personal branding space are talking a lot about how vulnerability will become the next currency. Mm -hmm. And I 100% agree with that. Because Mm -hmm. if you think about it, right, everything has a filter on it. And, you know, we're being a, a self that isn't really yourself. We pretend to be somebody to put on a front. Um, the only time you actually see people's personal views and beliefs is really in the comment section. Um, when they're talking about political debates or, or different beliefs that they might have. However, what is your take on vulnerability moving forward? And, you know, how, how can one uh, make that transition from being fake to now real without destroying their network? That's an interesting thought. So, and in, in you may have seen my face when you first said that, yeah. because I've had a couple of conversations with people that I've met through LinkedIn recently. Uh, I'm not going to name their names, but yeah. they know who they are. Um, <laughs> they both had very, very, like, shared intimate details really quickly, right? One on, one dude was tried to kill himself, right? Mm. And I wasn't on the phone with this cat for seven minutes before he told me. And I was like, wow, that's, that's intense. deep, right? That's like... 
hi. I'm like, okay, cool. And we talked for another 35 minutes after, right? Because I'm I'm a nurturing, caring guy, so I handled that stuff really well. And you're cool now, right? We're good? Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. I'm like, all right, cool. But it was interesting to me because it was like, for some people, that would be totally off-putting, right? You wouldn't know how to handle that in a normal situation. That's just too much self-disclosure too quickly. And, and when I was in college, I wrote a paper on the, the reciprocal level of self-disclosure, right? Because if I tell you something, you're probably going to feel obligated to tell me something back. And that's how we build common ground and build relationships. And it, and it really works well. It just doesn't normally happen that quickly. So when you say vulnerability, I will tell you that two years ago, everybody was running around talking about authenticity. To me, they're not too distant, right? They're not too far far apart. So it's almost like, hey, I'm just trying to control a different world and put that into the psyche. It's the same, it's the same conversation in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I think a lot of people that uh, that run around and throw stuff up on Facebook, right? It's the highlight reel of our lives most of the time, unless they're the people that constantly complain on Facebook. And that's a, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have any of those because yeah. it turns out there's an unfriend feature. Yeah, that I that. just like bye. <laughs> I don't need that. Um, I think folks that that really get into the the one-to-one are really more open and honest. I think video, like we're doing here, is so important because you get that authenticity. You get to see who someone is in real time. You can... You can fake this, I guess, right? But that's a whole different level of living that I I don't even really want to contemplate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the vulnerability that I'm referring to has less to do with the authentic end of the spectrum of, oh, you got to live an authentic life, all this, but um, be willing to own your mistakes, be willing to share the hard if you're going to share all the positives, right? Um, because success online right now seems instantaneous, overnight, easy. And, you know, the, the lower end of the millennials, the younger ones, as well as the generation thereafter, they are starting to think that, hey, this is supposed to be easy. I'm struggling. And as you know, this can be this negative downward, down, downward spiral of, you know, not believing in oneself, negative self-talk. And I think the vulnerability that I'm referring to means just in general, being real with how it really is at the moment, not pretending to be who you're not, um, and share the good and the bad, but do it in a way that empowers others, Mm -hmm. right? Like really voicing your real story, not the one that you have repeated so many times that now it has become real to you, but it's actually fake. And I and I, I I appreciate the distinction now that you brought it up that way. Um, so I think what's going to happen is yeah, people are going to tend toward that. You know, when I started teaching Facebook back in 2010, uh, what I loved about Facebook it was it was 360 degrees of our lives, right? LinkedIn was your business life. Yeah. Period. End of story. But Facebook allowed you to show off the the cat pictures or the baby photos or the wedding you were going to and really talk about who you are and what you're doing. And it it kind of broke down those barriers for a lot of people. Um, I still think people share just the highlights of that stuff. Um, 
and I think the lessons that we learn from mistakes or failure or trying or whatever you want to call it are always greater than the lessons we learn from success. Oh, yeah. yeah. Agree, agree 100%. One thing I have a question about, because you do have a background in psychology, and very rarely I'll be able to sit down with somebody who's studied psychology, because I've done a little bit of studying myself. I don't want to put myself in any, you know, graduate realm by any means. But in psychology, um, the concept of, of self-deception, mm-hmm. right? And I find a lot of, I find a lot of good stuff in there. And specifically in the world of, of sales, you know, sales has a lot of negative stigmas in it. For you, whether it be sales, um, whether it be your personal life, um, but specific to self-deception, right? What, what's your take on, um, you know, people deceiving themselves and how do they overcome that type of, of deception? You know, it's funny because we deceive ourselves in both ways, right? Yeah, there's yeah. the there's enough negative self-talk about I'm not good enough, I shouldn't even try, I'm not going to bother, right? Where you wouldn't be given, you wouldn't have the thought about trying to do it if you couldn't achieve it, right? You don't sit around and pick up a basketball and try and play 70 hours a week if you suck. That's not how it works. You would be like, I'm going to go in the band or I'm going to go do trigonometry or I'm going to go be a martial artist, right? Um, On the flip side of self-deception is that I am big enough, I'm bad enough, I'm strong enough, I'm the best. No, don't look at the resume. I don't have anything to prove any of that. Um, So what's my take on it? Yeah. I think that there's, uh, like everything, the truth is somewhere in between. Okay. Right? And that's just the way way we live, right? Yeah. You have to, I'm trying to remember who said it right now, but the, the concept is, See things as they are, not better than they are or worse than they are, but see things as they are. And this is a principle that probably dates back to Epictetus, which is a 2,000-year-old philosopher, right? Right. Well, he's not really 2,000, but he was around 2,000 years ago. (laughs) You're like, damn, that dude's old. Uh, What has you excited right now in life and business? I, I'm enjoying working with the guys I'm working with. We're having a good time. Um, I've worked with Mike McClintock in the past for a number of years and worked with Greg a little bit back and forth over the years as well. Um, but what we're doing in terms of lead generation, which makes me laugh, and lead <laughs> nurturing and, and just overall business development and giving people the right roadmap to if you want to build a new product, you want to build a new marketing plan, and how to do that stuff the right way. And I would say that you're an expert really cool. in that. I think um, when I referenced that earlier, it was had more to do with everybody wants to try to find something that separates them. And even if they don't know jack about it, they're like, hey, I'm an expert in this. Right? So if I see the word ninja or guru or, <laughs> yeah, it's like, are you sure? You have 146 followers. Are you really a guru? Right. No, you're not. So shh. That's so funny. Go learn some stuff for a little while. Right. And it's okay, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I honestly, what I admire most about people are when they say, with conviction, I have no idea. Amen. I don't know. And it's so cool yeah. because you don't have to not know for long because you can Google it like in 13 seconds, yeah. right? I don't know, but I'll find the answer. That's, like, so refreshing. I once heard the saying of uh, we're all monkeys on the bus, and um, basically everybody's experiencing something so similar to what it is that you're experiencing, but the problem is nobody's real about it, 
And um, yeah, it's just, it's just so, it's so interesting, right? This dichotomy that we have, if we think that everybody has their life together, but in fact, we're all just little kids who grew up into these adult bodies and we're still figuring it out. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And that's, you know, it's funny you say that because that's the thing, that's the thing that holds me back the most, right? Is I, I know what I've done, mm-hmm. I, but I know what I'm capable of. And there's still a disconnect there, right? I've done, arguably, I've done some really cool stuff, right? And I could yeah. even, I could even sit down and present an argument that I've done some cool stuff. But I'd almost feel like you talk about self-deception when you were talking about that. Uh, I was reminded of a story a professor talked about, the imposter phenomenon, right? So the imposter phenomenon is when you feel like you're doing something that you're not really doing, like you're acting the part, but that's not really who you are. And so he was a PhD in communications. It was teaching a lecture hall of 300 people. And he stood up in front of us talking about the imposter phenomenon and said, I'm up here sometimes and I half expect the guys to come out and grab me off stage and say, Gary, what are you doing up here? You're a bus driver, man. Get back in your bus. Right? And that's a real thing for a lot of people. Wow, that's interesting. You know, and, and like most of us, and we all have nice little beards in here, but like you see yourself <laughs> in the mirror shaving, right? And it's like sometimes it's, I'm the best, I'm the baddest, I'm the greatest thing that's ever walked the earth. And other times it's, man, am I a schmuck. I can't believe I did this, this, or didn't do this and that. Whatever it is that we beat ourselves up about, that head trash can echo a little too long. And you spend too much time looking in the mirror. It depends on what you see, I guess, and how it plays out. I love that. Did you, um, for, and one thing, um, when it comes to admitting when you're wrong or you don't know, I couldn't agree more. Like people, when I work with them and like when I'm, when I'm hiring or when I have a staff member, I tell people it's a, it's so okay to say, I don't know, or Hey, I fucked up. That's, you know, that, that's how I'm, I'm, I'm in a bad place and I, and I accept it, you know, but for you, what I'm hearing over and over again, you love ideas, mm-hmm. you love networking, you like, you love helping other people. And I feel like you're a spirit of, you're, you're an entrepreneur, right? Was there a time where this started back when you were young? Like, where does this confidence or, or love for, for doing new things and building networks and helping other people, is there a time you can connect it back to when you were, like, young and where it all started? So, I, the only thing I can think of in that is, you know how there's cliques in high school? Yeah. Right? <laughs> You're like, ah, yeah, we know there's cliques <laughs> in high school, Terry. Um, I didn't hang out in any one clique. I just kind of breeze through all of them mm-hmm. right and was welcome and not you know I don't think I was not welcome in any of them but it, it didn't really matter who you were I was probably more interested in you as an individual and to some extent probably couldn't stand your group of people mm-hmm. right and and I've I've said for a long time I really don't like people right I like individuals mm-hmm. right but I don't like the collective wow, that's, very that's much very mm-hmm. interesting you know so yeah. it's 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 there's a that real rich dichotomy for me between if we're going to sit down and, and get to know each other i'm fascinated and i'm all in but if we're going to go out and just exchange pleasantries and small talk i'll stay home right or i'll stay in the office or i'll yeah. zone out looking at linkedin right because that to me is more interesting than you know, triviality. Yeah. I can totally relate to that. Um, my mom brought something up a couple months ago about how one of the teachers when I was in kindergarten said that Philip doesn't look at his at himself as part of the group, but stands on the outside and analyzes the group. Mm-hmm. And 
I, I thought about that. I was like, man, that's interesting. That's kind of how it's been. It seems like you're saying something very similar, right? Like you, you see how it all works and how it's all interconnected. You love people, you love depth. And yeah, I just, I just think it's so interesting that a lot of these people that are doing great things seem to have this commonality. Can you kind of expand on that a little bit? Well, expand on which part? Oh, do you see yourself as part of any particular group? Because you kind of alluded to you didn't in high school, but or how do you see collective groups of people and your interaction with it? Because you're technically like the head of Motor City Connect, but do you see yourself as part of Motor City Connect or just the facilitator of the group? That's a great. That's a great way to look at it. Um, I probably see myself more as a facilitator, right? I see myself as the servant of it, as opposed to a member of it, right? So there used to be a, a commercial. I'm not. I'm not only the president of the hair club for men. I'm also a client. Uh, you guys probably. <laughs> oh, I know. You, no, you I know. Might you're be too young for I know that. you're talking about. But you know, it, I I don't necessarily ever see myself as also a client, right? And I, and I certainly don't see myself as the president or the leader or the. I, and I am right. I'm the leader, the founder, the CEO. Call it whatever you want. But my role there is to empower and uplift. Yeah. Right? And so it's not, and it's, and I've been that way when I was managing bars. I joked about it all the time. Listen, if I'm asking you to do something, right, whether it's take out the trash or refill the keg or, you know, cart someone at the door, the only reason I'm asking is because I can't do it myself right now. And it needs to get done, hmm. right? So I, I've always gone out of my way to empower other people and and make them feel better about who they are and what they're doing. And I don't do that in a light-hearted way. I take that with as much sincerity mm-hmm. as humanly possible because I think it's an important role. The good news is, and if we would have had this conversation five years ago, I might have told you something differently. I'm seeing a lot more people taking on that attitude, taking on that approach. And what you guys are doing right now, it's a, a fantastic example of it, right? That, that you're trying to be of service and help other people. Not trying, you are being of service and helping other people. Hmm. We've got some more questions, man. There, I've got some good ones. Um, so, <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, so, first off, um, your father... Right. Uh, your daughter's a teenager now. Oh, right? God, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, scary place for men, right, yeah. with teenage daughters. Um, my daughter's almost one. Nice. But um, what's what's advice that, you know, what do you, what do you talk to your daughter about a lot as far as advice and wisdom? Because you guys seem to have a really good relationship, right? Very, um, I, I don't want to say friendship, but there's a mutual respect there, and there's a tight bond. Mm-hmm. But it's not a, an authoritarian like dictatorship that you run at your home. Oh no, my wife would tell you that I she has two children. There's no ifs, ands, or buts, right? <laughs> She's got two children that are best friends, and uh, one of her children is a 47 year old man. Um, so my the advice and the things I talk to my daughter about is you know being present and paying attention to other people and trying to get an understanding of who they are and what they're about and not being judgy and not being gossipy and not getting sucked into that world. It's interesting. She transferred schools this year, right? So she is a sophomore and she went to one school district her entire life and now she just moved into a new one. And dad, I don't have any, I don't have any female friends. 
I, I make friends with boys way easier than I make friends with girls. And so we were talking this. I, I have a, I live on a lake, and one of my neighbors lives off the lake, but I, they have a boat. And I'm like, dude, put your boat on the dock. What do you? What, what else would you do? Why would you want to put it in and out all the time? So they're at the house a lot. And so I was having this conversation with my daughter, and I'm like, April, would you agree? And I, I laid out the difference between 15-year-old boys and 15-year-old girls. And I said, and listen, I'm not an expert because I've never been a 15-year-old girl. So oh, you I'm, haven't? No. It's, <laughs> for like five minutes, I, I was young. I needed the money. Um, <laughs> Good. I, uh, it's not true. <laughs> I, so I, I looked at her, and she was just uh, nodding like I thought her head was going to fall off. She's like, everything he just said is so absolutely spot on. But so what? It doesn't mean you don't have to keep trying, right? So it doesn't work the first time or the second time or the third time. You know, if it's worth it, it's worth it. And if it's not, cut bait, right? You can't be mm -hmm. all things to all people. Mm -hmm. So good. don't bother trying. Figure out what makes you happy. And if you fulfill you, you've got more to give to other people. Yeah, that's interesting. I love that. I love that. That's good stuff. With when it comes to like the the whole the parenting realm, mm -hmm. I'm sure for you, you've gone through a lot of self exploration through that. Is there anything that she's helped bring out of you that's been something that you've been able to improve? You know what I mean? That you weren't aware of, maybe. So you know, it's funny. I and you may have had this experience too, right? I I remember the the year or two after she was born, crying in an AT and T commercial. I'm like, <laughs> what is this shit? I don't. I didn't cry in fourteen years. I'm watching a television commercial and I'm crying. There's a there's a certain sensitivity. There's a certain caring. There's a certain sense of responsibility that having a kid instantly thrusts upon you. Um, which is which is interesting. So I don't know if she necessarily brought that out or yeah. that natural instinct brought it out, whatever the case may be. But I, I will tell you that one thing that she's done um, is reminded me to be present too because it's there's no shortage of time when she's talking and I'm on my phone. Right, it happens all the time. Now, in my defense, I'm on my phone, then she starts talking, right? So it's not like she's talking and I pick up my phone and I yeah. zone out. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the other way around. But it doesn't change the fact that there's probably been 147 times that I said, uh huh, and had no idea what she was saying. And so in the last 18 months, if we're going out to dinner as a family, I don't even take the phone. Right, because if it's near me, it's in my hand, and if it's in my hand, it's in my face, and if it's in my face, they're not. Yeah. Right. So, it's it's interesting. This is this is the single best and worst tool ever invented. Amen. Yeah. You know, let's transition to more than just a phone, right? Mm -hmm. Oh sure. We call it a phone, but it's the internet at our fingertips. It's books. It's it's our world. It's the music. It's right. the calendar. It turns out there's these social media things going yeah. on. Yeah. Evidently, they're going to be big. I don't know. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, in, if, if I were to ask you, what's life about for Terry Bean? How would you answer that question? Um, it's pretty simple for me, man. Life's about having a good time, being of service when you can, and not being in the way of other people. Right, because everybody's got their own journey and their own thing. If you can help them move forward faster, great. 
if you can't, get the hell out of their way and let them do their thing, right? We get so up in arms about the craziest stuff. I uh, I always say I don't like dating our podcasts, and uh, the 115 shows into the one I'm doing with Janet e. Johnson and I, um, I think I've dated every single one by saying something that's a current event. So to that, so people are burning Nike. Nike stuff, right? Yeah. Nike shoes and cutting logos off and <laughs> Like, there's so much important stuff going on in yeah. life to get bent out of shape over, and you're freaking out about that? It, it, stop it, right? Let people do their thing. Yeah. I had a buddy post something about, hey, it's September. If people want to talk about pumpkin spice or wear Uggs, let them do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm like, God, such a good point. People get bent out of shape about that, too. Yeah, I think it, in a... You shouldn't eat pumpkin spice. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad for you. I'm just kidding. Um, I think to your point about the whole Nike thing, mm-hmm. I think that um, in today's society, a lot of people tend to um, predicate their value and their worth on the things that they have as well as their identity is uh, like tying in with their beliefs and values. So I think that a lot of people are doing that because they feel like, oh, I thought this meant one thing and now it's something else. And I, I think, and I actually believe in my soul that there's um, a hunger in the world for true, authentic understanding of who they are as individuals. But it, it, the easiest way to explain it is, is like you're at a restaurant, right? And it's you and somebody else. They go to the bathroom. The first thing that you do is you grab your phone because you're not used to that awkward moment where you have nothing to do. And a lot of people, they just meander through life in a way that they're there, but they're never, they never realize who they're there with. And it's, it's about learning how to love yourself and understand yourself, but there's not a, a lot of people walking people down that path. And it's an interesting, interesting point. Cause the, the, yeah, cause all these, sorry for cutting off, but all these spiritual leaders, right? They've detached themselves from all these things and they found peace in who they are. Right. I mean, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, all, you know, all the spiritual leaders. So I just think that's so interesting. Well, and so detachment is the, or attachment is the cause of all suffering, right? According to Buddha. Yeah. And, and it's right. And you nailed it. We get, our identity is tied to the wrong things. And so in 2009, 2008, when everybody was losing their job, mm-hmm. the first thing that adults identify is, what do we do for work, mm-hmm. right? And, and when you understand that your job is not who you are, you have a whole different outlook on things. But I, I do. I, and I don't know what the numbers are, right? It, sometimes it feels like three-quarters of the population have no clue. They haven't done any of the introspective work mm-hmm. that's required to get a deeper sense of self, mm-hmm. right? And, and if you can't understand who you are, it's almost impossible for you to be able to relate to anybody else, right? And until you understand who you are, you know, it's, you just have a hard time not only understanding who you are, but where you fit, what you should do, who you're trying to be. And in that work, 
I don't want to say it's hard, but it takes time. It takes effort. It's not like 15 minutes and done. I joke all the time. I work in like 10 minute intervals because I have that. That's my attention span. <laughs> and believe me, it's like eight seconds and then 12 seconds. And it's a really long 10 minutes. But I, I can't I can't sit down and just focus on stuff. Like you and I have that conversation. That you can sit down and work on something for like six, eight hours or crack. I'm like, <laughs> six, eight minutes maybe. I got to get up and go for a walk or do whatever I got to do. Um, but I know that's who I am, right? I accept who I am mm-hmm. because without that, then you just sit around and beat yourself up all day. And mm-hmm. it, that's completely unproductive. It was uh, Henry Ford that he was sued once for saying that, for something to the extent of he didn't know everything. And um, the judge asked, well, how do you do it? And he says, well, I got this telephone at my desk. I just hit this button if I need to know this, this button if I need to know this. And he had a council of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's two ways to have a council, right, and a, and a mastermind. There's one where you actually have a physical mastermind with people there, which I know you've created in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second is, you know, you reference either leaders who are no longer here through what you've learned about them in books. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, as far as learning about you and, and um, what books have you referenced and then how have you transitioned that into maybe like a mastermind in your head as well as in, in person? So some of the most important books I, I got lucky, I got handed early on, right? I read a book called Illusions by a guy named Richard Bach. He wrote Jonathan Livingston Siegel. He wrote one. He wrote Bridge Across Forever, a handful of other ones that are really good. But Illusions was an interesting story. It was my junior year in college. I was dating this girl, for lack of a better term, let's call her hooey-jooey or airy-fairy, right? I mean, she was like doing astral projectile stuff, right? She was spacey and out there and super cool and a ton of fun. And she said, you got to read this book. And I started (laughs) saying, sure, I'm going to get right on that. Um, The very next day, I'm at work, I'm working at a bar. And the bouncer at the bar was the president of his fraternity. He was a power lifter. He was pre-law at U of M, like a 3.8 GPA, right? So he was, let's call it the antithesis of her. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm reading this book. You got to read it. Hmm. And so I went home and went to her place and said, give me the copy of the book. So I read Illusions by Richard Bach. Great, great book. Great story. Very interesting. Finished it, she handed me a book called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, mm. which was written by Dan Millman, which you mm. may be familiar with. So Dan's a tremendous author. He's written a bunch of books as well. It's a true story. It's, a, it's, it's story. basically a biography. Yeah, yeah, it's basically a biography, autobiography. Um, and he uh, they made a movie out of it with Nick Nolte playing Socrates. Mm-hmm. Not bad, not bad. Um, so those two books at 21 while I was taking a comparative religion class, basically just blew my dome off, right? It was like it changed my entire outlook on the world uh-huh. um, and helped me realize, uh, I'll just tell you, I, I, for a very long time, I've held a very simple belief, and that belief is I'm God, right? And in order for me to be able to look you in the eye and say I'm God, I have to be able to look you in the eye and say you're God too. Mm-hmm. Right, so I look at everybody through the eyes of God, which to me is basically through the eyes of love, mm-hmm. right? And same thing, and give them the fact that 
they are too. So when I say, you know, walk through life, do no harm, it's because it's that level of respect uh, from a, almost a deitization perspective that is really, really important to me. So I've read a bunch of stuff in the metaphysical genre. Um, some of the businessy stuff that I've read that was really interesting. Obviously, Think and Grow Rich is a perennial favorite. It's such an important book. Um, the Science of Getting Rich was written by Wallace mm-hmm. D. Waddles. Yeah. I play it on Spotify mm-hmm. all the stinking yeah. time. Our friend uh, Scott Ferguson recommended that about uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. Did he? Yeah, and uh, downloaded it. It's a great book. It's, yeah, it's yeah. really, really good and really pragmatic, really tactical. Uh, it's actually, if I were to push play on Spotify right now, that's what we would hear. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty cool. Um, so that's a good one. The Answer by John Asaraf was really fantastic. John and um, Murray Smith uh, was his co-author on that. That was a really good book. It it kind of fused practical business sense with law of attraction and and how to intertwine the two. Mm. Um, It was unfortunate those two broke up. They had a really good thing going with one coach. I I liked what they were doing. and then the most interesting book I've ever written is a book that no one's ever heard of. It's called The Odyssey of 40 Days by a friend of mine named Leon Lebrecht. And he, I don't this dude's the smartest guy I've ever met in my life. Um, and he wrote a book where a dude was trapped on an ice floe in the Arctic Circle because he broke off from his kayak. Oh, crew, baby. Oh, man. Got stuck on this ice floe for 40 days and spent the next 40 days hallucinating and being visited by the greatest thinkers, leaders, and folks of all time. Something happened over here. Oh, we're, 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 we're close on battery. It's a good conversation. Yeah. We'll just, we're still good. No, we're still good. good. Yeah. Okay, so just, uh, you know, so the Odyssey of 40 Days. The Odyssey of 40 Days. That Odyssey sounds very that sounds interesting. Like a really that good sounds book, crazy. It's, it's Socrates is in it. Jesus is in it. Buddha is in it. Pythagoras is in it. Right? Einstein's in it. I doubt it. I doubt you'd actually have to probably sit down and read it, and I don't even know where you'd be able to buy it. Um, I'll find out from it. All right. But yeah. it is... I, it was a lesson in math and metaphysics and science and environment and just it was like <laughs> so that uh, it's it's a little heady but it's really really good and then the last book and probably the most important of all of them is the Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz book, yeah. that if that book was required fourth grade sixth grade maybe sixth grade reading. The world would be a much better place. No more bullying. Uh, the world would be a better place. Greatest mentor and why? You know, it's funny we're having that conversation because I, I was at an event last night at Detroit New Tech down at Tech Town, and a gentleman's, and I'm probably mispronouncing his last name, but David O'Leary is what I'm going to tell you his name is. Um, he runs Skypoint Ventures up in Flint. He's done Ferris Wheel, and he's really one of the guys that's rebuilding that town. Um, and he was talking about working with Phil Hagerman, who's the, the, the older gentleman that basically is, you know, financing a lot of this. Not that Dave needs his help financing it, but maybe does a little bit. Um, he was talking about working with this guy and what a great deal it is to have somebody that you can take steps from, that you can learn from, that you can get a different perspective from. So I, I, I was thinking about, 
you know, I've never had a long-term consistent mentor, and I, I would like to have one. Um, I will tell you that some of the people that I've learned from, Frank Egan was the guy that was president in that networking group in Columbus, mm-hmm. um, and he was the regional director of it that appointed me as the area director. So I learned an awful lot about networking from Frank, and I say that without hesitation and frequently. Um, there's a gentleman named Vincent Wright, uh, is a gentleman named Vincent Wright, I shouldn't say was, still with us. Uh, he was the guy that started the first group that I was a part of that was relative to LinkedIn, and uh, the technology he was using at the time was Yahoo Groups, and Motor City Connect started as a Yahoo group, so I patterned Motor City Connect off of the things that I learned from Vincent. Mm-hmm. So those two are, you know... I, I don't want to say they're virtual mm-hmm. mentors, but they're, you know, Frank lives in Columbus, Vincent lives in Connecticut, so it's not like I really see either of these guys, but I learned some stuff from them. Um, but more mentors uh, has happened from a from a reading perspective, I suppose, than anything. And my dad was a heck of a good mentor, too. That dude was, uh, and it's, it's weird, you don't recognize some attributes of people until they're gone. Mm-hmm. And in the way he could engage in a conversation with you and make you feel like you were the only person on the planet at the time and just genuinely interested uh, was such a, it was such a gift that, that I try and honor his memory by being like that because I, I just, I, most people... Right. Hey, how you doing? You 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 asked me that while you were walking the other direction. Mm-hmm. Why you you didn't even stop to hear the answer. Mm-hmm. So why ask the question? Mm-hmm. Listen, you know we don't have to we don't have to fake things, right? This is fine. We don't need to talk about nothing. We can carry on. But if you're gonna ask, wait for the damn answer. Good. That that reminds me. I had a I had a breakthrough moment. Probably. Let me think about this. I was. 21 years old, so 13 years ago. I'm 34 right now. And Thanks for doing the math for me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was somebody said to me, they're like, you know, I got to say, it's really been fun hanging out with you, and I just met him. And they said, it's been really fun hanging out with you, but if there's one thing I can tell you to improve yourself, stop thinking what you're going to say while I'm talking. And that was the simplest click I've ever had to truly be like, wait, wait, that is how easy it is. And, and ever since then, I, I remember I wrote it down. I put it in my wallet. Don't think of what you're going to say while somebody's talking. And um, just for what it's worth, though, Terry, it's been, from my standpoint, it's been awesome chatting with you, man. I can tell there's a lot of depth. We're not even mm-hmm. yeah. touching the surface here. But I, I appreciate everything you're sharing and taking time. And, and it's been really an honor to meet you, man. It's been a, been a good yeah. good stuff here. Well, so thank you. I appreciate it, man. That's very Absolutely. Thank you. One of these. Yeah, right up, man. One of these. It's like virtual bro hug. <laughs> I, uh, you know, there's a, the quotations on Facebook, right? You put a quotation on, and it's on mine. It says, I've never learned anything new with my mouth open, right? Because you can't. And one of the, you asked about networking tips yeah. earlier, right? Yeah. The, one of the biggest comments I get about networking is, how do you remember people's names? 
And the answer is really simple. We don't have memory issues. You've got more capacity in your dome than you would know what to do with. You have an attention issue. And your attention is distracted because when you first meet somebody, we've all been taught, and maybe wrongly, that you only get one chance to make a first impression. And so we go out of our way to think about what we're going to say, mm-hmm. how we're going to sound smart or witty or fun or cool or whatever. We're so busy thinking what we're going to say that we didn't stop and listen to what they are actually saying. Right? So I always tell people, just trust that the right words are going to fall out of your face. Don't worry about it any other way. Amen. That's good. Amen. So that's a good point. I agree with that 100%. Um, well... I think that's a good good place uh, to yeah, wrap it up. Um, we're going to have to do this again because there's oh, I could talk to you for hours. Um, <laughs> you know where to find me? So, yeah, but where can people find you? Um, the easiest place to find me is probably at trybean.com. Okay. There's like a spot where you can go to the rest of the, my virtual world. I spend most of my time on LinkedIn. So um, LinkedIn slash in slash Terry Bean, and you can find me there. Um I don't like connecting with people I don't know on Facebook, so don't bother. Right? <laughs> if I can't tell a story about you, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to lose people on Facebook. Everybody else is still trying to gain. I'm trying to get rid of folks. Um, but LinkedIn, I'm super open, super interested in connecting with people. I don't spend enough time on Instagram, but I'm on there as Tribean. Okay. Right? So those places. And, you know, picking up the phone is the, the best way to actually reach me, right? Just call call you back I'm, I'm that Imagine guy that, that right? listens to his voicemail it's good right? eventually not like in a hurry but I actually listen to him so. and what's the what's the name of your podcast so if somebody wants to, to get involved with that what's the name of that guy it's business growth time and you can find it at businessgrowthtime.com and there's a hundred and Fifteen episodes, and you talked about. I got. I had the opportunity to interview Al Jean, who is the showrunner, executive producer, and one of the first five original people involved with The Simpsons. Oh, that's cool! Right. So, and I'm a huge Simpsons Hell fan. Yeah. They're opening season thirty, and I just just interviewed him and watched that show last week. So awesome. that, was, that was like a. I, I there's a picture of me and I've got friends and family like I had no idea you had that many teeth. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> like, that's awesome. That's sweet. So that was awesome. that was a favorite. Cool. Well, thanks for doing this with us and uh, appreciate your time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, live yeah. intentionally for excellence, people. Yeah. Wrapping up another episode. Thanks everybody for joining us. Follow us at Lifecast Radio. Um, pretty much every Everywhere. social media platform. So yeah. All right. Out. Thanks again, Terry. Thanks, Terry. Hey, thanks for listening for another great episode. Hey, Phil, I was just thinking about something. Where where can people find us at? Well, they can find us on the internet and on all social media platforms. Really? Yep. So talk to me about, what about Twitter? Where, what would that handle be? That would be at LifeCast Radio. Okay. What about Instagram? At LifeCast Radio. Facebook? At LifeCast Radio. Uh, what about YouTube? At LifeCast Radio. Al, it's the same for every single social media platform. Ah, okay. I appreciate that, Phil. I needed that clarity. For sure. Hey, us old folks, right? That's right. That's right, us old folks. Hey, Uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. Have an amazing day, and remember to live intentionally for excellence. LifeCast, baby.